Welcome back to another week of the Welcome to the Jungle podcast. We are in week seven of the NFL season 2021. The Bengals are 4-2 and and have arrived at their biggest test of the season. That is the Baltimore Ravens. Sunday at 1 o'clock, a battle for first place in the AFC North. The winner in first place, the Bengals would be in first place via a tiebreaker. Both teams would be 5-2 and two if that ends up happening. The Ravens, if they win, would be 6-1 and one and would continue to hold the top spot in the AFC. A huge game on Sunday, and that leads me to welcoming in my co-host on the Welcome to the Jungle podcast. I'm Alex Frank, by the way, if I haven't introduced myself. Justin Cashman joining me as always. Justin, this game, without question, is the biggest game of the year so far. It is a measuring stick game. The Ravens have won two of the last three AFC North titles. They are in first place again this year. So much to get to as to why they're in first. Are they as good as their record shows? Keys to the game, players to watch, where this game will be decided, of course, our game predictions. But, Justin, just like I said, this is the biggest game of the year so far, a measuring stick game. Would you agree? Oh, I completely agree. And I know we kind of said earlier on in the year that the Green Bay game would be the measuring stick game. And um, I'm not really sure how many people actually predicted the Bengals to keep it that close and actually, you know, come so close to winning that game had it not been for a few missed field goals. But this game, a divisional game against one of your toughest opponents in the entire NFL, um, and I just I cannot comprehend how the Baltimore Ravens are doing what they're doing this year. I mean, they're five and one with the amount of injuries that they have had. Just lost their starting tackle Ronnie Stanley for the rest of the year, missing J.K. Dobbins, missing Marcus Peters, missing so many different guys, and yet they're five and one, and that just shows the confidence and the talent that they have and the depth that they built on this team. And they're just a very, very deep team. And they've signed guys. They, you know, they brought in guys to fill those roles for people that are hurt. And they're not scared to go out there and, uh, you know, do that like some other teams might be. But this is going to be a huge, huge game. Are the 4-2 Bengals actually, their record, I mean, record-wise, close to being as good as the Baltimore Ravens? Now, I don't want to say they're as talented as the Ravens. But as far as execution, coaching, play calling, I think this game could end up being very, very close, but we shall see. Yeah, and and I think you and I talked about this right before we started this recording, that I'm not dreading this game because I do think that this game will be closer than the previous three years or the previous three games have been between the two teams. By the way, for those who are new to this podcast, those of you who maybe are new to being a Bengals fan, uh, or if you don't know the, the history of this rivalry between the Bengals and Ravens, it is a very good rivalry. There have been a lot of close games, a lot of memorable moments over the years. But the last three games, the Bengals have been outscored by the Ravens by these by these margins. 49-13, to 27-3, to 38-3. That adds up to a 114-19 combined score excuse me, in the last three games between the Bengals and Ravens. The Ravens, of course, have won all three. Lamar Jackson has been spectacular throughout those three games. The Ravens' defense was also very good. But this is a new year. Um, Justin, why do you think this time around against the Ravens, and we'll get into it much more specifically with what the Ravens, what stands out about them, but why do you think this game will be different this year? And, you know, I mean, it's it's 
to come in this game saying, oh, our team has a very good rushing defense. Oh, well, you know, we have fast linebackers. We have this because at the end of the day, no matter how good your linebackers are, nothing compares to the speed and the agility and the play calling and just the the way that the Baltimore Ravens are able to run the ball. But I do think that the Bengals stand a good chance in the run game. We're eighth in the NFL in rushing defense, only allowing 90 and a half rushing yards per game. So, you know, that already puts you at an advantage because if you can put – put the ball in Lamar's hands and make him throw the ball more often than not, then, and that is by no means saying that Lamar Jackson is a bad quarterback, a bad passer, a bad thrower. He is a very good, he is a very good passer. I mean, he won league MVP for a reason. But when you take away the ability to run the ball for Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens leading rusher, especially when they have so many hurt running backs, uh, Latavius Murray's, I don't believe he's expected to play. He has been, I believe he's missed the last two day of practices. So Le'Veon Bell looks like he'll probably get the start. But stop the run. You already have a good running defense. And then you have the 13th best passing defense. So, And I think I have faith. I think most Bengals fans probably have faith in our secondary, our corners, and our safeties. So, you know, I think stopping the run is primarily going to be the number one way that the Bengals are going to win this game. And then just be consistent throughout the game in your play calling and execution because that's how you beat games or beat teams like the Baltimore Ravens. Because if you go out there and you're inconsistent, you start changing up play calling from a down to down basis, from a drive to drive basis, then John Harbaugh is going to take advantage of you because he's such a good head coach and he realizes that you're intimidated and you're scared to go against this Baltimore Ravens defense. And that's something we've seen in the past few years is they kind of go out there and play intimidated, play scared. So if you go out there and you're confident in your play calling, your execution, then you should have no worries. The Ravens, of course, over the years have been known for their defense. It was a trademark in their early days when they won the Super Bowl in 2000. It has, of course, carried over throughout their existence. And the unique thing is they've only been around, Justin, for since 1996. But in those 25 seasons, you go back to um, 1996 when, when this franchise was born, coming over from Cleveland, 17 times. They have ranked in the top 10 in points and yards allowed on defense. That's extremely consistent. So no matter who's playing on defense, from the Ray Lewis's to the Ed Reed's to the Terrell Suggs to the defense that they have now, and no matter who their defensive coordinators are, from Marvin Lewis, who, of course, coached the Bengals for 16 years as the head coach, from Marvin Lewis to Rex Ryan to uh, Dean Pease to Don Wink Martindale, their current defensive coordinator, it has just been a revolving door of so many great defensive players that have come through that organization. But, Justin, I think to me, and this is how different the Ravens have been the last three-plus years, and this is how different the rivalry has been since 2018. And, Justin, you and I watched this game together. You and I watched this game. This was Week 11, 2018. I'm going to bring back this memory for you. So you and I are watching the game that week. The Bengals play the Ravens. The Bengals are 5-4. and four clinging to a playoff spot the Ravens are four and five how long ago was this consider Joe Flacco was benched that game for Lamar Jackson that was Lamar Jackson's first career start in the NFL John Harbaugh was on the hot seat there were rumors going around that he was out of Baltimore after the season maybe before the season ended whatever the Ravens won that game 24 to 21 Lamar Jackson had 150 yards passing but also over 100 yards rushing. The Ravens went on to win that game, of course. That got them to 5-5. Five and five. They won five of their next six. 
won the division. And ever since then, their franchise, the first talking point that comes with that franchise is Lamar Jackson. This is our opposing quarterback segment on our weekly preview shows. Justin, the word that comes to mind for Lamar Jackson for me, transcendent. What about you? I mean, the, when you ever you think about Lamar Jackson, the first word to me is always going to be versatile because so many people have made such a big deal that, you know, one being Logan Wilson coming out uh, following their previous game saying Lamar Jackson's a running back playing quarterback. And a lot of people try to make it out like it was an insult and as if he was taking shots at Lamar Jackson. No, and he came out and said that was a compliment because we have never seen a quarterback unless you're talking about Michael Vick and in my opinion, Lamar Jackson's already surpassed him as a running quarterback. And we've never seen what Lamar Jackson has done in just a few short years in the NFL. And the way that he has his team, you know, near the top of the AFC every single year, every single year you think they have a chance to win the Super Bowl. And John Harbaugh has done such an amazing job, um, you know, surrounding him with the weapons that he needs. Despite some injuries, you know, they've obviously been very injury riddled this year. But they're ma- they're making it work and you know they don't I wouldn't say they have the best offensive line in the world but you wouldn't know that just based off Lamar Jackson's ability to make plays and scramble out of the pocket and find uh, guys in the middle of the zone in the zone just do so many things that we haven't seen so many quarterbacks do um, you know the last quarterback like I said is Michael Vick who is probably the last guy I've seen him do that so uh, to have a guy like that in the division yeah it sucks but it's, you know it's fun to see him play uh, against other teams uh, be other teams in the division unless it's the Bengals, so uh, I'm to watch them, and every single year it feels like people are like, oh, well, we're going to figure out Lamar Jackson this year, we're going to figure out the Ravens offense, we're going to stop the run, um, but every year it just doesn't happen, every year he just seems to be getting better and better and better. Yeah, you're right, and you go back to his rookie season, uh, by the way, he had 119 rushing yards against the Bengals in that game in week 11 of 2018, 26 carries, so... So what Logan Wilson said, and I know there was some controversy surrounding that, but what, to what Logan Wilson said, he's right. He is like a running back playing quarterback. Now, that can be twisted because, you know, there were those who, who said when he was drafted by the Ravens in 2018 that he should be, you know, converted to a running back. And I was like, no, no, he's a quarterback. He's going to make it, excuse me, in this league. And sure enough, he has. He's won an MVP. He's won a playoff game. He's led the Ravens to two division titles. And I would argue he saved John Harbaugh's career, excuse me, as, as head coach in Baltimore. And Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defensive coordinator, Justin, on Monday on Bengals line said that you can't stop Lamar Jackson. You can only contain him. And I do believe that when you look at, you know, what scares you the most about Lamar is his ability to run. He's a lightning rod. It's like Justin, you know how you try to catch fireflies in, in, in the summer, like on 4th of July, and, and you can't because they're so elusive and they get away from you easily? That's like what trying to tackle Lamar Jackson in space is. He's elusive. You know, he's this lightning rod that just moves so easily, so freely. It's like he's, I don't know, it's like you're, it's like a video game, live video game. It's like Madden. But, you know, you look at some of these rushing numbers. Um... The lowest rushing total he had in his rookie season, 39. Yeesh. Okay, go to 2019, his MVP season. And and what I'm telling you is the least number of rushing yards that he has is going to show you why it's so difficult to stop him. You can only contain him. 2019, he has 
rushing totals of 120, 152, 116, um, 101, 103. His lowest that year, he had three carries for six yards against Miami. Throw that out. Next lowest, 40 against Buffalo on 11 carries. Still averaged 3.6 yards a carry. Oh, by the way, that playoff game against Tennessee where we thought, oh my gosh, Lamar Jackson can't win the playoffs despite all that he did in the regular season. Uh, okay, 20 carries, 143 yards. You go back to last year when he maybe had a quote-unquote down year because he only threw 26 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and not even 3,000 yards. Well, okay. Uh, outside of the Bengals limiting him to 3 rushing yards uh, in the first meeting, his lowest rushing total, Justin, was 35 yards. 35 yards on 10 carries. It came against Jacksonville. He had rushing totals of 108 against the Eagles and then 124 against the Browns that on Monday Night Football and in the playoff game against Tennessee oh we can't throw the football oh we can't win from behind okay 17 and 24 179 and 16 carries for 136 yards and a touchdown so what Lamar Jackson's doing is you know he's basic you know he's obviously a dual threat quarterback he's taking care of two things an offense does how do you stop this how do you stop him you can't you can only contain him but Justin you, you played football you played football before on the defensive side how do you in your opinion contain Lamar Jackson an athlete like this at his caliber I mean I personally I've never gone up against a you know a phenomenal Russian quarterback like I did or um, like Lamar Jackson but you know what I did do um, in high school is you know you played against some guys who could run the ball not amazing but what you really got to do is just you know hunker down on the receivers is because if you're going to make him run the ball several times throughout the game, which obviously is probably so much easier for Lamar Jackson than a JV high school quarterback. But, you know, if you lock down the wide receivers and he has nowhere to throw it to, then he's going to end up running the ball a whole lot. And then it's going to be hard for him because how many times can a quarterback run the ball? who's not as versatile as a, you know, Lamar Jackson type. And how long can he keep that up with for the entirety of a game? So it's going to be very, very hard, and you're going to put pressure on him. Then he's going to have to force throws, which oftentimes, oftentimes turn into turnovers. So like Lou and Arumo said, all you can do is hope to contain him. And it's not like we've ever seen – it's not like any of these Bengals players have ever played another quarterback that's ever been like this. I mean, they're used to playing against the big bends of the world, the, you know, the slow old guys who are just sitting in the pocket, you know, trying to make a throw. And um, when they go against Lamar Jackson, who can scram out of the pocket in the blink of an eye – you know, next thing you know, he's 50 yards down the field running in for a touchdown. They've never seen something like that before. But I think now after a few years having played against Lamar Jackson, it's going to be helpful because they might be a little bit used to his tendencies. Um, they know what he might do on a certain down and distance. Um, they know who his favorite wide receivers are, including Marquise Brown, who's their leading receiver right now. So, um, you know, they do know a little bit more of his tendencies and his, um, you know, play style. But I still don't think that really helps their defense out a whole lot because – you know, as as, as 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 athletic as your players on defense are, it just really nothing compares to what Lamar Jackson is. I mean, he's just one of one. He's one of a kind, and I don't know if we'll ever see anything like it ever again in the NFL. Yeah, he's definitely a unique athlete, and you know, he may not he may not be the passer that let's say Patrick Mahomes is or Josh Allen is, but or Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, but his ability to run the football and he has gotten better as a passer this season. You look at some of the games that he has had so far this season, and these are just numbers, okay? He's obviously had some great games running the football. 
At Las Vegas in week one, he had 12 carries for 86 yards. That's 7.2 yards a carry. That's that's very good. Against Kansas City, he had 16 carries for 107 yards and two touchdowns. So far this season, he has 392 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Uh, but as a passer, he's gotten better. He's completing 67.5% of his passes. 67.5%. That's very, very good. Nine touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, but there was a stretch from weeks three through five where he threw for six touchdowns, no picks, including a four-touchdown performance against the Colts where he threw for 442 yards. So what he's done this year, Justin, is not only prove that he can be a, a good passer, he's only had one game this season with a passing yardage total below two, uh, 235 or lower, and that or below 235, and that was against the Chargers when he had just 167. That's because the Ravens decided, well, you know what, we're going to come out and we're going to run the ball against you. So he's gotten extremely better, extremely better as a passer, and that adage of well, he can't play from behind. Okay, uh, twice this year he's come, he's led the Ravens back from a 14 nothing deficit against Kansas City, and a excuse me, 22 to three deficit against the Colts. So these critiques of Lamar Jackson, he's answering them this year. Excuse me, and he's and he's made it very very difficult for teams to defend him and this Ravens offense. So you mentioned containing Lamar Jackson, but then what do you do with the Ravens receivers? You don't really, I mean, it's so hard to say because then you have guys like Marquise Brown who could just speed past you. And Marquise Brown, he's so good at finding that open hole in the zone coverage. He's so good at working with Lamar Jackson as to finding an open spot when Lamar Jackson is scrambling to find a spot down the field to where Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson can make a perfect throw. Um, and then another thing is, I know I know it sounds terrible, but you know one of the only ways that you can only hope to contain Lamar Jackson is hoping that there might be some injuries uh, on the offensive line or you know as far as his offensive weapons go. And as I mentioned earlier, Ronnie Stanley, one of his starting tackles, is out for the year. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best young offensive tackles in the entire NFL. Uh, offensive tackle Alejandro Villanueva, who obviously spent a lot of time with the Steelers. Um, he was back to practice today, as reported by Jeff Zebrick um, of The Athletic, who covers the Ravens. Um, so even if he does play, he'll probably still be in a little bit of pain due to his knee injury starting center. Bradley Bozeman, uh, he missed practice yesterday. He's back uh, with a back injury, but not practicing today is Latavius Murray, who obviously got a lot of snaps um, with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards out. Sammy Watkins, he missed another practice today with a thigh injury, so... They do have a lot of injuries to the offensive line and offensive weapons, and as much as I hate to say that, you kind of hope that some of those guys don't play because it's going to give the Bengals' defense a better chance. But at the end of the day, like that's probably one of the only ways you're going to end up beating this offense and slowing them down because if they're you know, completely healthy and full systems go, then I don't think there's a single defense in the NFL that can slow them down. As you mentioned, Murray and Watkins both did not practice today. Murray dealing with an ankle injury. Watkins dealing with a thigh Injury, um, but to me, Justin, when when I think about how to defend this Ravens offense, I think you need to defend. You you need to have athletic defensive players. That's where Trey Hendrickson comes into play. That's where Logan Wilson's range comes into play. He's become a very good athletic linebacker, one that can you know play laterally and uh, vertically. He can drop back into coverage. That interception he had against the Lions last week, he's twenty yards. He's twenty yards dropped back in coverage. I mean, it's unbelievable what he was able to do on that play. So 
I, I think this Bengals defense is better equipped to potentially slow down Lamar Jackson. And, you know, he hasn't totally beaten. I mean, I, I, I probably am about to say something that's not true, but I look at the stats and I go, okay, he didn't run very much in the first game last year. He had a lot of carries and rushes. He had a lot of carries and yards in the second game, but he was only 10 of 18 for 113 yards passing. So you can say that, but you can also acknowledge that he didn't need to throw the football very often because the Ravens had such a big lead. They could just run the football. But one thing that makes the Ravens so good at what they do offensively, running the football and the, you know, the, the different looks, the different formations, the different, you know, play calls, designs, whatever, it's because they have multiple running backs that can do those things. But as has been the case this year, they are hampered with injuries at that position. Gus Edwards out for the year. J.K. Dobbins out for the year. Justice Hill was put on IR before the season started. I mean, they're utilizing running, they're utilizing old running backs who had once prominent roles on respective teams, but now they're sharing a crowded backfield together and with Lamar Jackson. But that still makes you weary. Le'Veon Bell, Latavius Murray, Devontae Freeman. I mean, they can throw so many different running backs at you, and that keeps you honest. So it, 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 what, what is it, Justin? Is it a guessing game of what the Ravens are going to do with the football at the line of scrimmage and where the ball's going? I think it's a guessing game if you're not prepared. And, I mean, I do have a lot of faith in Luana Rumo, and, you know, you kind of hear it from the defensive players in their weekly press conferences is, you know, we have all the faith in the world on Lou, and he's put us in great positions to have success. But like I mentioned earlier, it's like it's a whole different animal when you face Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. So it's kind of a guessing game, it's a guessing game at some points. Um, I do think that this defense will be ready. Um, you know, I mean, we do have a very good defense. So I'm, we're not going to this game thinking, oh, the Bengals are about to get 400, 450 yards of offense put up on them. But, you know, they're going to struggle. They're going to have moments where Lamar Jackson makes big plays and the running backs make big plays. And, you know, there's nothing – it almost seems like there's nothing we can do about it. But – we're going to make plays too. And I think we're going to, you know, hopefully force some turnovers. And, you know, that's just the name of the game. And, you know, if you can at least slow down the running game, running game a little bit um, to start off, then that's just going to give this defense even more confidence and momentum moving forward. It's going to give the offense momentum moving forward. So um, it all starts in the first quarter because they've had so many bad first quarter starts, slow starts. The Bengals have obviously scored their first uh, opening drive touchdown against the Lions uh, last week. So, I think one thing that's really going to help the Bengals, it's kind of a, t- a, a tale of two defenses. Is So the Ravens' passing defense is 26 in the NFL with giving up a little over 277 passing yards per game, while their rushing defense is third in the NFL with only giving up 82 rushing yards per game. So I could really see a heavy dose of offense uh, or of uh, passing in this game because they've obviously had some injuries in their secondary with Marcus Peters and a few other guys. So... I expect a few deep shots to Jamar Chase early. I, I expect a uh, you know a bevy of Tyler Boyd. I expect a lot of CJ Uzama. So I expect a, a wide range of distribution from Joe Burrow to his wide receivers and tight ends. See, and that's interesting. You say you you want to go deep to you want to take a deep shot to Jamar Chase early because I like it. If you do that and it works, the rate Don Wig Martindale is going to say, "Oh, we can't blitz because because if we do." Joe Burrow is going to beat it. Joe Burrow against the Blitz is 
is the best quarterback in the NFL against cover zero. And he's only in year two. We saw it against Jacksonville, whose defensive coordinator used to be a coach, excuse me, with the Baltimore Ravens. And now Burrow has seen the Ravens once. Keep in mind that they don't have um, Matthew Judon, who is now with New England. They don't have LJ Ford. He's out for the year. Who they do have is Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams up front. They have really good linebackers in Patrick Queen, Josh Bynes, who was with the Bengals last year, back with the Ravens um, for, a, for, I believe, a third stint Yeah, with that organization. And then you have, they can bring defensive backs down in the bo- into the box, and they will blitz. Tavon Young, Chuck Clark, Deshaun Elliott, Marlon Humphrey, who Zach Taylor said yesterday in his Wednesday press conference, you know, he's one of the best cornerbacks in the league at what he does. He's looking to take the ball away from you every time that you that he that you make a catch if you're a receiver against him. So this Ravens defense is still, despite what you said, Justin, about giving up almost, uh, I have the stats in front of me, actually, as you alluded to, the Ravens defense has allowed 277.3 passing yards a game. They're not very good against the pass. Where they are good against, and they have been this way for years, is against the run. They only allow 82 yards per game on the ground. So, you know, that's going to make life obviously more difficult for Joe Mixon. But the hope is you can use Mixon other ways. Screens, checkdowns, wheel routes, same thing with Chris Evans. Or you can try to go deep with Jamar Chase. The Bengals personnel, Justin, I think, and I think you you can agree with me on this, especially on offense, is much more equipped to handle the complex, or you think it's complex if you don't play for the Ravens, the offense is much more equipped to handle the blitz packages that Baltimore is going to throw at them. The offensive line has been much better this season. So, what does that say to you? Do you think this offense... Is, the, is much more equipped personnel-wise to handle what the Ravens could throw at them defensively. I'd say so. I mean, especially with what the Ravens are dealing with on their offensive line, obviously having so many injuries all across the board to both their tackles and starting center. Um, so we'll see going in this game. I mean, this it's hard to say because Lamar Jackson, obviously, he can scramble out of the pocket. He can make plays that, you know, it's just – you think is going to be bad one second, the next second it's like, oh my God, I can't believe they just scored a touchdown, whatever it may be. So it's hard to say whether or not the Bengals have a you know, a better chance of handling what the Ravens have to throw at them. I do think, like you mentioned, that Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks. I mean, I, I think the statistics show that he is the best quarterback against the Blitz in the NFL, and you know, it definitely helps when you have running backs like Chris Evans and Joe Mixon who can pick up those Blitzes and you know make huge uh, make those huge pickups and then take a deep shot down the field. So that definitely helps. Um, it definitely helps that our offensive line is playing uh, very, very well, and they're also very healthy. Um, you know, Trey Hopkins has been dealing with a little bit of a knee injury. I think he's taken some uh, vet days a lot, the, the last couple weeks, so I think he'll be good to go. Jackson Carbon, I believe I read he was back at practice today. So it sounds like they're good to go. They're fully healthy on the offensive line. So if our offensive line is healthy and playing that they playing the way that they've been playing all this entire season, then I think I would be confident in saying that we do have a better chance of, you know, um, going up against this Ravens defense than vice versa. But um, 
we'll just see. We just need to make sure that we're fully healthy going into this game and that we have a good game plan that Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan know what they're up against and that, you know, they know that this defense is very good against the run and they're not so good against the pass. So, but I think they obviously do their homework. They know what they're going up against. It's the division rival. It's one of the best teams in the entire NFL. So I think they're ready. And I think that, like I mentioned earlier, Bengals stay healthy and keep this close. You know another thing they have going for them this time around, Justin? Frank Pollock is going to be coaching in this game. The last two years when the Bengals have been absolutely obliterated by the Ravens in three of the four games is their offensive line coach was Jim Turner. He didn't have that offensive line ready to play against that defense. Let's be honest. And here's, here's the great stat. So Joe Burrow was sacked ten times through the first two games of the season, and there was a lot of concern going around this city. Well... In his last four games, in the last four games, Joe Burrow has been sacked just six times. That's an average of one point, what is it, six sacks in four games. That's an average of one and a half sacks per game. Much better than the first two games. So only 16 sacks through the first six games of the season, less than three per game. Better, maybe not where we'd like it to be, but here's where you have an opportunity to show how, (coughs) excuse me, how much progress has been made with this organization. You know, how far they have come. Because the Ravens have become the measuring stick in this division. For so long, Justin, I'm sure you can agree with me on this, the Steelers were the measuring stick for not just the Bengals, but every other team in this division. Because you look at the success that they had in the 2000s, winning those two Super Bowls, winning division titles in 02, 04, and 07 as well. They won six. I mean, they won. Um, how many division titles did they win in the 2000s? They won in 2002, 4, 7, and 8. So, four division titles in a span of seven years. And they won two Super Bowls in that time span. And they've also won numerous division titles since then. They're, then you have the Ravens. And I'm talking about them specifically here because the Bengals are playing them this week. And this is a preview show about the game against the Ravens. The Ravens. I've always been that team that, you know, kind of just lurking right behind Pittsburgh, you know. And it it just was a matter back in 2010 of if they could win that crucial game against Pittsburgh and get over the hump and win a division title, get that home playoff game and show Pittsburgh that they were the big bad bully in the division. And they are. You know, they've won two of the last three division titles. They're on track to win another division title this season. And given what the Bengals have done against the Steelers the last two times those two teams have played, the Bengals have won both of those games by 10 points or more. Maybe we can say, you know what? The Bengals have conquered the Steelers. Now it's on to the team who has become the measuring stick for not just the Bengals, but every other team in this division, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. I think that's where we're at right now, Justin. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I completely agree, and it's like, it's so funny because for so many years we were so focused on beating Pittsburgh, and, you know, we wanted to get over that hump of being the little brother to them, and, you know, it's just so frustrating that, you know, you beat them on Monday Night Football last year, and then you beat them in Pittsburgh this year, and um, and now we're just like, okay, well, it's nice beating Pittsburgh, it's pretty cool beating Pittsburgh, it's fun, but now we're on to bigger and better things, now it's time to beat the real teams, now it's time to beat Baltimore, because... I couldn't be the last time I talked to a Bengals fan who was scared of playing the Steelers or even of the Browns for that instance. I mean, we kept the Browns pretty close in both games last year. 
I mean, two very winnable games. And this year, I mean, they're on the edge of maybe being three and four with Case Keenum being their starter tonight on Thursday Night Football. So could very easily be three and four. So the Bengals and the Ravens are the two teams right now who I think, you know, have a real shot at that division. But if the Bengals go out there and get blown out, then it's just like, okay, yeah, it's nice. We could beat the Browns. We could beat the Steelers. But what's the matter if we can't keep up with the best team in the NFL? Or, you know, the best team in the NFL, maybe. I mean, other than the Bills or uh, whoever else it may be. But, you know, this is going to be a real measuring stick game. Um, like I said earlier, I think it was nice to keep it close against Green Bay. But, I mean, I think it really matters when you go into a division rivals, uh, you know, home field, keep it close and beat them. That's what really matters because, like Zach Taylor said in his uh, weekly press conference, um, you know, I'm just focused on winning the division because if you win the division, everything else kind of takes care of itself. Yeah. Um, you look at teams like New Orleans, like however many years ago, uh, well, we're seven and nine and made the playoffs, or, you know, we've seen several teams who have been 500 or a game or two below 500 and still made the playoffs because they won their division. Um, so all of that matters is winning the division taking care of business in the division, and then everything else will take care of itself. And at least we know that if we do beat Baltimore, or at least keep it very, very close, we can look at the rest of the games of this, on the on the schedule and say, okay, well, I think the Bengals have a shot in almost any of these games if they can really keep it closer, beat the, beat the Ravens. Because the Ravens might be the best team in all of football right now. I don't doubt that. I mean, the Ravens are 5-1. and one. The only – Justin, I, I can't believe I, – I, I figured this out today, the, or realized this today – the Ravens are the only 5-1 team in the AFC. Did, did you think that was going to happen at the start of the season with all the injuries they had, and then they lose their first game of the season, and then you look at their schedule and you go, oh, Kansas City on a short week? They might be 0-2. And yet here they are at 5-1 in first place in the AFC North, and they're the only 5-1 team in the entire AFC. It's remarkable, isn't it? I don't know how, because I know if the Bengals had those significant injuries to the positions that the Ravens did, that we would be maybe 0-6 right now, 1-5 at best, I think. Because it's just, how many times do you see any team go through that many injuries, that many players at such significant positions, and have the success that they do? Not many. And that all comes down to having a great head coach, great uh, play calling, great planning, um, great preparation, and a great quarterback in Lamar Jackson. So... Um, not to say that we don't have a good coach. You know, I think Zach Taylor obviously isn't anywhere close to John Harbaugh, but, I mean, he's still a, um, you know, it's kind of TBD to be determined whether or not he's a good coach. Um, and we have Joe Burrow. So, yeah, you have Joe Burrow, but if you have all those guys injured, it doesn't really mean much. But Lamar Jackson, somehow, he's still able to overcome all of that and lead this team to being 5-1, first in the division, and um, or first in the conference, sorry. And, uh, you know, could very well be the best team in all of football right now. You know what else it comes down to, Justin, is culture. The Ravens, and I remember when I went to M&T Bank Stadium. Have you have you been to a game at M&T Bank Stadium? I, I think you've said you've been there, but have been to a game there? Yeah, I've been to Baltimore. I've been I've walked around the stadium. But I've never been to a game there. Okay, if you ever have the opportunity to go to a game in Baltimore, seriously do it. It's it's one of the best atmospheres in the league. The fans cannot be friendlier. It is a community feel. Um, it's just a great place to watch a college football game. The stadium's great. By the way, $3 hot dogs, not a bad deal either. Um, so I was there two years ago, and I noted all those things I just mentioned, all those observations. But the other thing I, I noted is the culture of the team is healthy. It is palpable. It is genuine. It's tangible. 
It is something that fans get behind. And I'm looking at I'm looking at the Ravens Ring of Honor and I'm seeing, you know, there's already 10 or so names on there. They've only been around for 25 plus years. I mean, the Ravens, you think about, you know, how good they are and how consistent they have been. Um, you know, 13 playoff appearances in the last 21 years. The, the first time they made the playoffs, 2000, they went they went on to win the Super Bowl with that incredible defense. 12 10 plus win seasons in that time span, six division titles. And Justin, we talk about the Bengals when they made five straight playoff appearances from 2011 through 2015. Yeah, the Ravens made five straight playoff appearances from 2008 to 2012. They also five straight playoff appearances with at least one win in every single one of those years. And then, by the way, they did it again in 2014. Not only did the Ravens make the playoffs, but they won a playoff game. They were in contention. They were either the final eight, the final four, or they went on to win the Super Bowl. That is a culture right there. That is a winning culture, a consistent culture. And it's a point that um, Scott Pioli, former G- former GM of the Patriots, uh, was, with the, was, was with the Baltimore organization for a while. Sorry if someone's trying to call me. So Scott Pioli brought this up on the Tapeheads podcast, Tapeheads. Highly recommend listening to it if you ha- if you don't do so already. Uh, make sure you listen to us first, though, of course. Bob Oshusen, Dan Orlovsky, Scott Pioli are the hosts. And Scott Pioli brought up a great point about the Ravens' culture and how that has been the key to overcoming adversity with all the injuries this season. Here's that cut. The personnel culture inside that building, the marriage of general manager to head coach, how they build that team, and how they keep on finding ways to fill in the cracks in Baltimore when another crack in the dam develops. It's just, they just keep finding solutions. Yeah, this is a fascinating organization. You know, it was, I want to go back to 1996 when we moved from Cleveland to Baltimore. And uh, I was with the team for that first, the, the inaugural season in 1996. And Ozzy had just taken over the franchise again he he didn't have a title he wasn't the general manager he wasn't a vice president he was just kind of like this title but there was a culture that was being set in place and and it was coach march brought it but then it became coach billick and then john harbaugh and eric DaCosta was hired as an intern in, in pro personnel with me in 96 and the thing is there's a culture that exists with this franchise that has been fascinating to me i feel like this organization has had a pulse and has a pulse on the players their locker room the chemistry as well as any franchise since 1996 there's been some ebbs and some you know some ups and some downs but it's interesting john harbaugh Again, his background, special teams coach. And generally speaking, special teams coaches have a really good pulse on the team. They're the only assistant coach that has to speak weekly to the entire team in team meetings because it's not offense, it's not defense, it's everybody. So they're talking to more players as a leader. Harbaugh has always had a pulse for players, but part of that comes culturally from Ozzy. And I go back to where, you know, Ozzy first started coaching under Bill Belichick in Cleveland. And one of the most important roles that Ozzy had for Bill was to let Bill know what the pulse of the locker room was. Are the guys tired? Are they full of energy? Is that, you know, what's going on? Not in the sense that Ozzy was was never a narc, right? He wasn't ratting on the players. He knew for the greater good what he had to do was talk about where the players were at. And I think that that's an element that really is a part of the cultural fabric of 
the Baltimore Ravens. Eric DaCosta learned that. He knows how important it is to be on the pulse of the players. John Harbaugh knows that. And to me, when I watch this club season from season with all the changes they keep having, they seem to have this ability to have a chemistry that is so darn consistent. And it's had so much change. Again, Harbaugh, Billick, March Broda, but it's all been successful. And Ozzy to Eric DaCosta, it's one of the things that I, as I watch this franchise, it's it's part of the reason why they're having so much success right now, as silly as it sounds. But I want to go back to what you did say, Bob. Lamar Jackson is an elite quarterback in this league. And he, you know, what he's doing is incredible. But again, away from just the performance, I love to talk about and look at what's happening behind the scenes. And Harbaugh and DaCosta and that entire organization just get it. That's Scott Pioli and Bob Wischusen on the Tape Heads podcast talking about the Ravens culture. Justin, um, when you hear that, what what do you make of it? Because that that is what, to me, the Bengals are trying to become. They're trying to become that winning culture that the Ravens have had. And I think it's I think the Bengals are getting close. But then again, we go back to that measuring stick concept and that this game is that. That's what this game is. You want to be what the Ravens are? Win these kinds of games. And when you think about a winning mentality and a winning culture, it's you know it's not something that takes one year or two years. It's something that takes so many years to build because you know, you can have a good season or two good seasons. I mean, you think about the Bengals stretch of, you mentioned it, of all the, you know, playoff appearances, but they never won anything. And you never really felt like they had a winning culture. Yeah, they were winning games, but did they have a winning culture? Were they a team that you really took seriously and thought, okay, this team can make it to the Super Bowl or the AFC Championship? And, I mean, in my opinion, you know, at the time, I'd like to think that I did think that. But looking back on it, I don't think I ever really thought the Bengals had a chance of making it to the Super Bowl. I mean, it just wasn't something that seemed palpable. It wasn't something that seemed uh, realistic because, you know, you always hear all the narratives that are so old and mundane or that the organization is cheap and, you know, they don't want to pay, pay their best players and they don't go out for free agents and all, you know, vice versa, whatever it may be. And, you know, then they go through that stretch these past few years of just not being very good. And all, all those talking points just come up. Uh, back up and it's just very frustrating and so now you have Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and the rest of this team and organization trying to actually build a winning culture and get their fans to buy in because a culture is nothing without the fans and if the fans aren't bought in then you have no culture whatsoever Um, and so I think that is what Zach Taylor and the Bengals are trying to build but it's not going to take a year or two it's going to take a very very long time and as long as you can keep the fans interested and as long as you're winning games it shouldn't be a problem um, are you going to win the Super Bowl every year? No. Are you going to make the playoffs every year? No. But if you give your fans a reason to believe that this team could do that every single year, then you have a winning culture. Um, because the fans are behind this team. The fans are behind this organization, and the fans are behind the city. I mean, there's no doubt about it that this is probably one of the most inclusive, excited years of Bengals football I've ever been around. And we're only 4-2 right now. It's not like we're, you know— shoot in for a playoff spot already and we're going up against probably the best team in the NFL and the Baltimore Ravens and we're actually talking about beating this team on the road something that we have not done in a very long time so go into this game and play well and this city will continue to be behind this team and Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and that's what's going to make for a winning culture your point goes back to what Joe Burrow represented last year and that was a fresh start because you mentioned how this is one of the more inclusive seasons of Bengals football that you can remember in a long time. 
Well, I mean, the city was behind the team during that run of five straight playoff appearances. But, Justin, I'm sure you felt this. Didn't those years just come with that dread of, oh, well, how are we going to blow it this time? Or how are we going to lose the, the first playoff game this time around? It, it always came with that, yeah, but you don't feel that this year because it, it was a fresh start last year. And you don't know how good the Bengals are going to be this year. You don't know where the season's going to go. You don't know if it's going to result in a playoff berth, a wild card berth, maybe a division title. It, it's just, you know, let's see how this team progresses from week to week. We're not worried about, you know, how the Bengals lose this game or if they lose on Sunday. We're just here because Joe Burrow has given this fan base hope. We're here because Jamar Chase has given, you know, this offense an excitement dimension that they have not had in years maybe since Chad Johnson, and that's why this is such a fun season. There are no expectations. You know, Tim McGee says that this is the season of expectations. I say it's a season of I need to see tangible progress so we can go into 2022 knowing this franchise is headed in the right direction, and I don't think it's too early enough for me to say, Justin, that this franchise is headed in the right direction. Do you feel that? Of course, and it seems like they finally got all of the pieces of the puzzle together. And, you know, a lot of these guys are in their first or second years with this team. And, you know, it's going to be hard to get all these guys together and win a Super Bowl in the first year all together. So, I mean, yeah, that's going to be very difficult. It's a very young team. So don't don't expect, like, a Super Bowl this year or next year. But, you know, I can very well look ahead in the next five years and say, okay, well, the Bengals Super Bowl window might be open. And we're getting all the pieces, and people ask Zach Taylor all the time, you know, what was the reasoning behind the certain players that you wanted to bring in? He just says, character, uh, work ethic, coming to work every single day, loving the grind, loving loving to practice, loving being in the locker room with all the other guys, loving the relationships that they have with the other players and the coaches. It's not just guys that, you know, value what football brings to them, but it's what they can bring to the game themselves. And, you know, you talk, you listen to some of these guys talk in the press conferences, and you can tell that they love the game. You listen to Trey Hendrickson talk every single day in his press conferences, and he says, I just love, you know, going out to practice, getting better every single day, uh, learning from my mistakes, and then just, you know, putting that up to the test every single weekend. So it's, you know, you love to have those guys on the team. And if you had a, a, a bunch of selfish guys on this team, if, you know, you had a bunch of wide receivers unlike Jamar Chase, who wouldn't want to make that block for Joe Mixon to go score that touchdown, then you'd be in a bad spot. But you have a guy like Jamar Chase, he's going to go go out there, run up ahead of Joe Mixon, make that block, and make him score a touchdown. So that just shows how unselfish and how high character, um, high of character guys that they have in the locker room. And, you know, anytime you have those type of, types of players and guys, then you're going to be in a position to win, uh, you know, any game that you go into. Not only that, but you, you brought this up consistently in the offseason. To me, you said, look at the players that the Bengals have brought in and the cultures that they come from, the winning cultures that they come from. Mike Hilton comes from the Steelers. Contrary to all the drama you hear coming out of Pittsburgh frequently, hey, the Steelers know how to win. Okay, that's a, I mean, no one, no team, Justin, and I'm sure you can agree with me on this, no team wins without drama and controversy. Okay, because if, if everybody agrees with everybody, what, what gets done? Like, there's, there's no growth. You know, you got to have controversy and conflict to grow. That's how the Steelers, you know, win. Okay? So, Mike Hilton coming from the Steelers. Trey Hendrickson from New Orleans. Uh, four straight division titles with the Saints. 
What's the four straight? Yeah, four straight division titles. That's winning culture right there. Okay, and the Saints, by the way, won, won a playoff game in two of those, I'm sorry, three of those four seasons and lost in overtime in the other game they should have won. Okay, so there's that. Larry Ogunjobi was on a winning Browns team last year that, oh, by the way, Justin, much like the Bengals, went from the basement to being one of the last eight teams standing come the second weekend of the playoffs. That's someone coming from winning culture. Chidobe Awuzie coming from Dallas. Say what you want about the Cowboys. I know this might be the, the least highlighted example I'm giving you, but Dallas has a history of winning. They have a very high standard of the way they do things. By the way, they did win a division title in 2018 and a playoff game. Very good season. He comes from a winning culture. DJ Reader came from Houston. They won some division titles. You look at um, who else have we signed recently? Trey Wayne's coming from Minnesota. Yeah, he hasn't played, but again, it, it's all about you know bringing the right guys in. Joe Burrow, number one overall pick, a national championship winning quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, character. And it was so easy, Justin, for Zach Taylor to say those things in the first two seasons. I remember we had a conversation last year on one of our shows. And we, kept, we talked about how we keep hearing culture. We keep hearing that. And they were doing things to get the right guys in the building, but they weren't winning games. But now with them winning games, they're 4-2. They're right where they need to be. Yeah, it makes sense what Zach Taylor has been saying all along. And I look back, and I was thinking about this today. I look back on two years ago and how hard it was for me and you probably to hear him say those things because you didn't know if if they were going to come into fruition and if this team in two years would be where they are right now. But now it's like, okay, we made it through the darkness as fans of a team. And now they are so easy to root for. They have so many likable players. You don't know where the season's going to go, but who the hell cares because they're winning football games. They're playing in meaningful games in late October. And they're probably going to continue to do so into Thanksgiving and maybe even the holidays. That's what this is all about. And they have an opportunity to continue that progression by beating the measuring stick team, the best team in this division, on Sunday. That's what I'm feeling right now. And listening to Zach Taylor and the players talk about the culture, uh, you know, trying to change the culture the first two seasons was like pulling teeth. It was so stressful. It was so frustrating because it's like, yeah, you can change a culture and say you're going to change a culture as much as you want, but that doesn't mean anything if you're not winning games. And last year was, you know, kind of like the very, very bottom uh, of the barrel when Carlos, Carlos Dunlap came out, you know, obviously one of the most storied defensive ends in this entire organizational history. Um, he comes out, he starts posting a depth chart and talking crap about the coaches, and then he's on the sidelines uh, fighting with other players, and then... Um, you know, people like Sean Williams and Darius Phillips, who, I mean, is still on the team, and a couple other players kind of saying that they disagree with their playing time, with the team, on Twitter, and all this stuff. And, um, you know, now none of those guys are here, except for maybe Darius Phillips, or John Ross is one of them, who is no longer with the team, with the New York Giants. So you think about, at the time, we're like, why are we getting rid of these guys? I mean, why are these guys um, lashing out at the coaching staff and at the team? But now we're like, I see what Zach Taylor was trying to do. He was trying to get rid of the guys who he didn't think would fit the culture. And he brought in guys who he, who he personally thought would fit the culture. And we're seeing it pay off. And 
obviously I don't think any of those guys who I mentioned, they were so used to the Marvin Lewis way of doing things. They weren't used to the Zach Taylor way of doing things. They're used to the mundane to, you know, stick to your guns, don't change up anything. Um, and then Zach Taylor comes in, he says, okay, I'm going to do it this way. Um, I want this guy instead of this guy. And then they retaliated because they might not be on the field as much as they were previously. And I'm sure as much as, you know, it probably was frustrating, they didn't even want to try to buy it. They didn't care. They just wanted the playing time and get over with it. Um, and so now we have guys from these winning cultures from these winning organizations who have bought into what Zach Taylor's message is. And we're born too. And I think we're better because of it. And we no longer have these poisons to our uh, locker room. And, I'm, and I don't know the full story. I'm not in the locker room every day. I'm not a Bengals insider. I don't know everything. Don't get me wrong. But from the outside looking in, it does look like Zach Taylor has made the right organizational choices and has made the right for agency moves to get the guys who he believes fit this culture. And it's paying off. You're born to maybe about to be in the lead for the division with the Baltimore Ravens. If you can go in there and find a way to win. Um, so I have, I have no bad blood toward any of those players. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business. You want to play, you want to get your money. Um, so I don't blame them, but I do think from year one to year three. Now, Zach Taylor has really, um, you know, turned a corner and I've changed my mentality on him. It completely, it's been a complete 180. Let me ask you this. You watched Zach Taylor's speech to the team in the locker room after the win over Detroit. What did you make of it? It's just a team that's, <coughs> excuse me, it's just a team that's bought in and they're happy to play with each other. And, um, you know, it's easy, it, it's easy to be there when you beat a team 34 to 11. It's so easy to be a great teammate, to be, um, you know, have great relationships when you beat a team 34 to 11, you're four and two. When you win only three or four games, it's so hard. And I think the thing is, if whether or not we were one and five or two and four or four and two or five and one, whatever it may be, these guys all have the same mentality. They're going to come every day with their best effort, um, you know, love to practice, try to get better, learn from their mistakes. And so right now, it's just to have those guys and to be winning on top of it is just, it's something that I don't think as a Bengals fan I've really ever seen before. Um, you know, I'm only 21 years old, so I don't really remember, um, you know, the, the, the best days, the Super Bowl days and the playoff uh, game winning days. So, but as far as just for me being a Bengals fan, I mean, it's definitely the most um, cohesive unit that I've ever seen. Just a cohesive unit being the whole team. I watched that video and I think, you know, Zach Taylor, he, I mean, he's not, like this, um, how do I say this? He's definitely a player's coach. Like he, I think he's not someone that'll get in your face every single day. A, a, a head coach like that, you know, like maybe a Mike Tice would have been, or I mean, any other head coach that I can think of that would have done that. But, you know, he's made these players want to be a part of what is happening here in Cincinnati. Remember, Justin, how there was 100% attendance at OTAs? That that should not just sail on and, and not get talked about. That's a huge deal. These players want to be a part of this. And it's so amazing how even through the first two years where there were only six wins. You know what's been amazing this season, Justin, has been the attendance at home games. In 60-plus thousand in the last two games and then 56,000-plus excuse me, in week one. For a franchise that has rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way, myself included, 
excuse me, now I still show up to the games, maybe I know some don't, for a franchise that has done that, that has not won much of anything the last 30 years, that has done a lot of things that have frustrated fans and have not done a lot of things that have frustrated fans, for those for the fans to come to the games this year, it's remarkable what not only Zach Taylor and the you know the the team itself has done, but the organization, you know, making you know fans want to come to the games, watch this team play, be a part of the festivities. I mean, it, it's remarkable when for a franchise that had that doesn't win a lot and has not won a lot the last thirty years. That's a huge testament to the front office and Zach Taylor and what he has done. And like we said, it was so easy to just, you know, crap all over what he was saying in his first season of, well, you know, uh, thank you for the fans who came to whatever game. You know, when we're playing for championships, you know, those fans will be, you know, you guys will be here to see that. And it was like, whatever, play for championships, just win a damn game for crying out loud. Yeah, you know what? That stuff that he said, a lot closer now than two years ago. And I can believe it. It's remarkable. And this feels different. Because of, you know, Joe Burrow has been, you know, really good the first six games. Jamar Chase brings an excitement. There's so many likable players. I think about guys, Justin, like Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd, who went through essentially hell the first however many years of their careers here. A lot of losing was involved. And now they're here on winning teams. It takes players like those two to buy in to what Zach Taylor was trying to implement in his first two years, and now they're seeing the fruits of that labor. Guys like Sam Hubbard and Jesse Bates on defense, they've been here through the hell, and now they're 4-2 and two with so much potential, even if they come up short on Sunday. That's who the players that I'm thinking about with you know where this team is right now compared to two years ago when I was there and they went 0-6, and, and you're like, you're watching that team and you're like, yeah, they're in. Yeah, they, you know, played a lot of one score games. But where in the world is this team going? What's this identity? You know, who's staying? Who's going? What are they going to do? It's like they have Andy Dalton, but they're going to probably get a quarterback. And you're like, where is this team going? Well, Justin, here we are now. Two years later, four and two, heading into a week seven crucial division game. It's huge. And, um, you know, I wish this game would be in prime time. That would be amazing. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to get that. But, you know, still going to be a fun game. Um, so do you want to give our keys to the game now? Let's get to them. Uh, I think we talked about this matchup enough. You know, we can talk about stopping the Mark Jackson. We can talk about, you know, picking up the Ravens blitzes. I, I do feel like the running backs the Bengals have, Joe Mixon and Chris Evans, are going to be able to do that much better than they did last year. Keys to the game for me um, – Justin, number one, I, I think, obviously, it goes without saying, protect the franchise, especially in a game like this. And we saw what happened last year against the Ravens. Seven sacks, 15 hits. Justin, remember remember that rant I went on on the show the day after the game, and I said, if this continues, Joe Burrow, and by the time the Bengals realize what's happening, it's going to be too late. Remember I said that? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was right. Okay, so we've got protect the franchise. Um, and then my second key, and I have three sub-keys, if you will, that branch off of this. Um, don't make it easy for Baltimore. Baltimore plays a style of football that if you make it easy for them to play, it is going to absolutely destroy you, as we've seen the last three years. Okay, so with that, don't make it easy for Baltimore. 2A, I call it. Force them into second and third and longs. Don't let them pick up five to seven yards on first down. Make Lamar Jackson make the tough throws. Don't let him get out in space 
because they pick up five or seven yards on first down. Num number two B, give yourself manageable third downs on offense. The Ravens, what they will do, Justin, I noted this on film from their game against the Chargers, which, by the way, was an absolutely incredible performance by the Ravens on all three phases. The Ravens will bring an extra defensive back down into the box, you know, and you don't know if he's going to blitz. But it's that look that gives you that fear that he could blitz, whether it's Tavon Young, Chuck Clark, whomever it may be, that he's going to blitz or just drop back into coverage. They will come after you, though, on third and long. Don't be in that position. Make it third and two, third and one, whatever. And then 2C, limit the penalties. Now talk about not making it third and long. What do you have to do? Limit the penalties. If you're Jackson Carmen, if you're Trey Hill, Who's not going to, I'm sorry, not your health. You're Quentin Spain. You can't have those false starts. You can't have those holdings, Riley Reef included. You can't have holdings or false starts. You can't go into first and 15, first and 20, especially in an environment like Baltimore, which Justin, by the way, last year, when Joe Burrow was sacked all those many times and hit those many times, there were no fans there. Uh, this year, you're going to have close to 70,000 fans. And let me tell you, having been there, that place will get loud. It will get loud, even for a 1 o'clock game. Don't make them get louder by forcing yourselves into those 1st and 15s, 1st and 20s, 2nd and 20, whatever. Those are my two keys to the game. What about you? Number one, like you mentioned, it goes without saying, protect the franchise. My number two, which I think is actually going to be one of the biggest keys for this defense to have success, is blitz a lot with Mike Hilton. And if you go back to last year, the first game against Baltimore, you remember Darius Phillips was causing so many problems for Lamar Jackson. You said, I believe, only three rushing yards on the day. Um, yeah. He was a monster in the blitz game, and it just seems to have uh, such an impact on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' offense whenever we have our corners blitz. And what is Mike Hilton known for? What is he best at? He's known for blitzing, and that's what he did so, for so long in Pittsburgh, and that's kind of how he made his money. And, you know, he's still a good cover guy, but, you know, when you can have Mike Hilton rush the quarterback – and make those big plays in the backfield. That's where, really where he's going to shine. So blitz a lot with Mike Hilton. Um, punish the Ravens with a pass early. Like we mentioned, they have one of the worst passing defenses in the entire NFL. Uh, yeah, they have Marlon Humphrey, but they don't have Marcus Peters, and they have a bunch of other guys. So, I mean, not to say that they're not good at all, but, you know, you have Jamar Chase, you have Tyler Boyd, you have T. Higgins, you have all these guys who can make so many plays in the passing game. So, Attack them in the passing game early and don't let up. If you get down to their 20-yard line, don't start running the ball because they have such a good running defense. Keep the ball in the air and make them pay for it and then continue to do that throughout the game. And then my last key to the game is going to be beat them at their own game. What are the Ravens known for in defense is forcing turnovers, forcing fumbles. That's what they're so good at. You remember last year in the game that we lost, in the, you know, or I guess that was both games, but the first game, um, I believe it was Marlon Humphrey who forced a fumble out of Mike Thomas's hands and was returned for a touchdown. Um, that was a very critical uh, play of the game. So beat them at their own game. You have Logan Wilson, you have Von Bell, two guys who have been uh, freaks in forcing turnovers so far uh, this year and also last year. So, you know, try and get the ball out of their hands, kind of be that peanut Tillman, go in there and do the peanut punch and, you know, hit the ball out of their wide receivers or running backs' hands. And if you can beat them at their own game, it's going to be a long day their offense because you cannot let Lamar Jackson own the time of possession battle uh, by a significant amount. So those are going to be my keys to the game. If they can execute all of those, I do believe that the Bengals will have a very good chance of winning this game. I think you bring up several great keys there. I want to go back to your Mike Hilton key for a minute because, as you mentioned earlier, 
uh, Marquise Brown is so good at finding that open spot downfield. So do you worry about, Justin, if you do bring Mike Hilton, what, what happens if Marquise Brown is wide open? Because I will say this. The timing between Jackson and Marquise Brown this year is better than it has been the previous two years, and it was pretty good to begin with those last two years. Are you worried about that? It is if you know that, you're off, or that your defense aren't sure tacklers. And I can guarantee that Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis Gaither and Jermaine Pratt are going to make the for sure tackle. I, can, I don't really have any doubt in my mind. Uh, you know, not like the, a lot of the the last few years where they've just been missed tackle after missed tackle but this year they're executing at a rate that we really haven't seen in so long so um yeah they're gonna make plays marquise brown is gonna make plays he's gonna find a wide open spot and catch a big pass uh you know one or two times in the game and that's just gonna happen but more often than not if mike hilton can get pressure in lamar jackson's face it's gonna for, force an errant throw and maybe get picked off so i think it definitely is worth it to blitz with Mike Hilton than it is if you just don't at all because then you're just saying that um, you're just letting them do it and you know that you can do it because you've seen it last year with Darius Phillips so um, bring the pressure and just make Lamar Jackson uncomfortable and that's going to force him into throwing into tight spots and tight coverages and uh, hopefully like like one of my other keys was beat them at their own game and start forcing turnovers. I agree with you there, and it goes back to the point I made earlier in the preseason, which is Lou Anarumo has the luxury this year of having guys that can do multiple things, like Mike Hilton can blitz, if you're going to use them as a blitzer in this game. Okay, great keys to the game for both of us. Players to watch. I feel like there's so many players that we can mention. For me, Bengals offensively, it's the running backs, but I'm also going to say Joe Burrow, Justin, because we, we talked about it last week. Jay Morrison said it. Joe Burrow has to play better for this team to get to where it wants to go. Well, okay, last week, 19 of 29, 271 passing yards, three touchdowns. You know, he was he was the reason why the Bengals offense moved the ball so well in the second half. Okay, but I want to see him. I want to see, we can talk about, well, the offensive line didn't give him, you know, much help last year against the Ravens or the running backs didn't pick up the blitz. Yeah, you can say all those. That's, you know, I want to see Joe Burrow go out there and show that he's not only the best player on the field, but the toughest player on the field. You know, Justin Herbert, we talk, people talk about, oh, Herbert's better than Burrow, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay. Uh, Justin Herbert didn't have a great game last week. Joe Burrow has an opportunity to do something that Justin Herbert was not able to do last week, and that is beat who is right now, who are right now the best team, or is, excuse me, who is the best team right now in the AFC, and that is the Baltimore Ravens. Joe Burrow has the opportunity, and if he's able to do it, hey, maybe he is a top 10 quarterback like we hoped he would be coming into this organization. Those are my key players offensively. For the Bengals defensively, I'm going to say Trey Hendrickson, you know, blitzing Lamar Jackson, you know, being able to athletically chase him around in the backfield. And then Logan Wilson with his range, with his range and his ability to drop back in coverage and make plays. He had an interception last year against the Ravens in Baltimore. Maybe he'll do it again. Like you mentioned, Justin, your keys to the game. For, you know, beat them at beat the Ravens at their own game. Ravens defensively, Calais Campbell is an absolute monster up front. We know that. Josh Bynes played with the Bengals last year, has been with the Ravens now for this is his third stint there. And then Patrick Queen, you mentioned that fumble, Justin, that the Ravens forced last year that was returned for a touchdown. Patrick Queen had that uh, recovery returned for a touchdown. And by the way, Joe Burrow knows a thing or two about him. He went up against him every day in practice at LSU in 2019. Ravens offensively, if I don't say Lamar Jackson, then who the hell am I as a podcast host? 
And then Alejandro uh, Villanueva, he's filling in for Ronnie Stanley. Can Trey Hendrickson, you know, win that matchup against a, a veteran left tackle? Don't get, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you can agree. But someone who has not been where he once was at Pittsburgh. Can Trey Hendrickson, who's only in what, year five, six, whatever it may be, can he win that battle and continue to show why he was one of the Bengals' prized free agent signings? Your players to watch. For the Bengals defensively, I'm going to say Sam Hubbard. And Sam Hubbard has not been, his name has not been brought up very much this season. I've, and, and, you know, obviously Trey Hendrickson is getting a lot of attention for good reason. He's having a phenomenal year, but why did the Bengals give Sam Hubbard such a big extension for games like this? Because more than anything, Sam Hubbard is great in the running game. He's a good pass rusher, but he's a great run stopper. And they gave him those big bucks for games like this against one of the best rushing teams in the NFL. Well, the best rushing team in the NFL um, in the Baltimore Ravens. So use Sam Hubbard a lot in the running game. And we've seen him in the past make so many plays in the run game. And you have the sure tacklers in Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis-Gaither, and Jermaine Pratt back there. But if your first line of defense can really slow that run game down, then that's going to be huge. So defensively, I'm going to say Sam Hubbard. Offensively, uh, I'm going to say Trey Hopkins. And I just saw some PFF stats saying Trey Hopkins, I believe, is the lowest-rated center in the entire NFL. I don't know if that's total or if that's just in the passing game, but he has not been very impressive. I know he's dealing with a bit of a knee injury, and he's gotten some bad rest days off, but you have Jenna Williams, who's playing very well. You have Quentin Spain, who's playing very well. You have Jackson Carmen, who's played pretty well and Riley Reef he's played okay and Trey Hopkins is kind of that weak weak link on the offensive line so if Trey Hopkins can play his guest best game of the year assuming that the rest of the offensive line plays how they have been the entire season you'll have one of the most cohesive offensive line units in the entire NFL and I think that this offensive line if Trey Hopkins plays well can really 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 punish the Ravens defense um for the Ravens offense I'm going to say Lamar Jackson I don't think that there's even a question about that. Stop Lamar Jackson, you win this game. I mean, there's really no riddle to it. I mean, that's just how it is. You stop Lamar Jackson, you win the game. He's the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL, the best rushing quarterback in the entire NFL, maybe in NFL history. Stop him. Uh, defensively, I'm going to say Marlon Humphrey. Um, who is he going to cover? Is he going to cover Jamar Chase? Is he going to cover T. Higgins? Is he going to cover Tyler Boyd? I don't know. And I do have faith in Jamar Chase beating Marlon Humphrey. I think he's faster. Um, maybe not as physical, but he's quick he can come out of his routes very quick and the connection with him and joe burrow is just getting better and better every week and marlon humphrey is obviously one of the most premier corners in the entire nfl so who's he going to cover who's he going to be on no matter what i still think that i like our Bengals wide receivers chances up against their best corner whenever i watch marlon humphrey play i only see what he can do very well like 10 yards downfield i don't see him as a guy that I worry about, if you send if he's covering Jamar, and Jamar runs a you know a, a go route, deep route, whatever it's called a go route, I don't really fear Marlon Humphrey having much of an impact. So, um, those are those are players to watch. Uh, where this game will be decided for the Bengals offensively, it's going to be their ability to pick up the Ravens blitzes and defensively. I think it's going to be, as you mentioned, Justin, the Ravens' secondary against Jamar Chase. If they can somehow prevent Joe Burrow from going over the top to him, I think those are the two areas where this game will be decided. I completely agree. Um, You know, it's just so hard to say because it's kind of like the Steelers. Like, you know, we go into that, you know, I think we both predicted that 
I can't, I can't remember. I think we both predicted the Steelers to win that first game this year. We did. The Bengals, yeah. And it's like, you know, and obviously we whooped up on Pittsburgh, and it's so hard to go into this game and say, because I know that this team can do the things that we were saying that they can do and that they need to do to win, but it's just a matter of we haven't very, we haven't seen it very much against this team the last few years. And obviously you have so many different pieces and coaches and all that, but, you know, it just I feel like it doesn't really make a difference until you see it firsthand and I think on Sunday that's going to really tell the tale of this season if we can keep it close with the Ravens and I think this Bengals team has a real good shot of making the playoffs just think if the if the Bengals beat the Ravens in Baltimore how how much of a steal of a win this would be you already beat Pittsburgh and Baltimore on the road and you still get them at home in games I think they the Bengals can win how much of a you know we talk about giving yourself a cushion and not you know making the margin for error so minimal. That's what a win in Baltimore on Sunday would do, in my opinion. Now, let's get to our game predictions. Um, Justin, I'll let you have the floor first. What is your game prediction? I just said it. You know, it's you know, it's easy to say what the players and the coaches need to do to go into a game and win the game. And I have all the confidence in the world that these Bengals players can do exactly what we said and execute the keys that we said they need to win the game. But it's just when you haven't seen something happen in uh, quite a few years, and especially with that bad taste in our mouth after the last game of the season last year against the Ravens, and they just absolutely whooped up on us, um, it's hard to say whether or not the Bengals can do all of that in this game. So do I think they'll keep it close? Yeah. Do I think that they'll make some big plays and force some turnovers? Yes. Do I think the Ravens will make a little bit more? Yes, I do, and I think the Ravens will end up winning this game 31-27. Now, I do think the Bengals will keep it close. Um, you know, I think that they'll, you know, keep the ball in the air, make some big plays to Jamar Chase down the field with the beaten-up defense of the Ravens and having one of the worst passing defenses. Um, I do think our defense will make some big stops uh, or some turnovers, but I think Lamar Jackson, at the end of the day, he's too good, he's too tough, and they're, uh, you know, in Baltimore. Um, I'm just going to have to go with the Ravens for this one, 31-27. It's a high score for a game between two teams, and this is a rivalry that has seen a lot of lower-scoring games. But you're right. I think in this new era of Ravens football where they are defined and talked about mostly by their offense, that I do think the Ravens are going to put up points. But I think the Bengals will, too, because what we've seen in the first six games, you can always count on there being at least excuse me, one deep play to Jamar Chase. And there's been, and there's been one in every game this season. Excuse me. At least one. In every game this season, I think this game will be close. In the end, I'm going to have to pick the Ravens to win, I'll say, 28-21. to 21, And I will absolutely be okay with that score as long as the Bengals don't make it that score because they scored two, time, two touchdowns in garbage time. No, it's got to be you're competitive the whole game. That's my score prediction. Real quick, Justin, one game you're looking forward to other than the Bengals-Ravens this weekend. I think honestly, the game that I'm looking forward to tonight is the Browns is the Browns Broncos game, and uh, it's kind of weird to say, yeah, it is a divisional game, but I mean, I just want to see how the Browns can respond without Baker Mayfield. I mean, are they a good team without Baker, or is you know Baker kind of hurting them right now with his shoulder injury because we he has that partially torn labrum in his left shoulder? Um, so I'm interested to see what Case Keenum can do against his former team in the Broncos. Um, that's tonight, I believe, at eight fifteen. Uh, There's a nice football, so. That'll be fun to watch, and uh, I'm, I'm honestly most excited about it because 
Say Case Cam comes out, plays terrible. Kevin Stefanski doesn't know how to play call for him, and they're three and four, and the Bengals and the Ravens are alone in the division at the top. So, I mean, that, that'd that be fine with me. So, I'm excited to watch that game. Well, I actually won't be able to watch it because I'll be at work, but um, I'm excited to keep up with that game. Um, and if I'm being honest, I really haven't looked at the whole slate of all the NFL games this week. I, I think I have – I made my predictions earlier in the week, but I don't remember exactly many of the games. The time that this recording will be posted for you all to listen to tomorrow, the the Broncos-Browns game will be final. But that is an interesting game between two teams who are struggling badly in need of a win. Baker Mayfield not playing tonight, Thursday night, uh, due to a torn labrum. Case Keenum getting the start. The game I'm looking forward to seeing, Kansas City-Tennessee. And I think Tennessee will pull off the upset. Kansas City gives up seven yards of play. Derrick Henry can get seven yards per carry. Think about that. He had 7.2 yards per carry last Monday night against against Buffalo and a great win for the Titans. That's going to do it for us. Bengals, Ravens, Sunday. Sorry for those who are walking in the door with my dog who uh, helped me prepare for this show today. The Bengals, Ravens, Sunday, 1 o'clock CBS, Kevin Harlan, Trent Green, Melanie Collins with the call on CBS. You can hear the game live on ESPN 1530, 102.7 WEBN and 700 WLW. Beginning at 1130, Dan Hoare, Dave Lapham on the call from M&D Bank Stadium in Baltimore, Maryland. Coverage starts Sunday morning at 9. Pre-game sports talk on ESPN 1530 and 700 WLW with Ken Brew hosting pre-game sports talk. That'll do it for us. For Justin Cashman, I'm Alex Frank. This has been the Welcome to the Jungle Podcast Week 7 Preview Edition. Talk to you all next week after the game.